You guys like podcasts? Yeah. With comedy? Sure. Two funny hosts? Yep. About history? Uh, Wonder why everyone who loves you leaves? No. Worried about your tendon health? Uh, you can't wait to hear about Rasputin's death? <gasps> your own death? Oh. Then check out Hysterectomy every week, hosted by Sam Weller and Christian Crosby. That's H-I-S-T-O-R-E-C-T-O-M-1. Only at Crave Online. I better go there right now. And we're back. Uh, today, my guest is Rebecca McKendry. How's it going? From Fangora magazine. Fangoria magazine. Fangoria. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get mocked for saying Fangora all the time because I don't know the English language. <laughs> but, but, um, so how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I, I met Rebecca about... Six months ago? Yeah, maybe? it was about six months. At San Diego Comic-Con. Which uh, was a freaking trip. We were booth neighbors. That was great, though. We actually had a lot of fun. I think of the two... I've been at San Diego Comic-Con twice now, and that was definitely the better year booth setup-wise, mm-hmm. just because... We got along with you guys so well. We got along with the trauma people so yeah, well. Yeah, we had, a, and the guys from um, Film Confidential were across the way. We were in a great neighborhood. Full Moon was right across the way. And a lot of um, the time that you spend when you're at San Diego Comic-Con is kind of built around who you're near, because those are the people that you spend the most time with and who you kind of, you know, mess with the entire time. And yeah, we, you guys were great. We had the Film School Confidential people last year, and we had a blast with them. We were in the same location you were at last year, directly across from them. Mm-hmm. So we would play catch throughout the throughout the day, and like that was a lot of fun. And then I remember John was making fun of me because we showed up, and like we had full moon there last year. So like I rounded the corner to full moon, and then he said, "You just saw my eyes light up because I'm like trauma, Fangoria, man." <laughs> I'm not. This is everything I would probably go to if I was allowed to walk around the convention. Me for. too. <laughs> and I filled out our forms for Comic Con this year, and I even put down we would like the same booth neighbors and neighborhood we had last year. <laughs> and so I'm hoping they honor that. I think a lot of people wrote that. The only people, and they weren't bad people. They were nice people, but the uh, people next to us, the femme fatales. Mm-hmm. I didn't even meet them. They gave me a free tote bag, but I didn't talk to him very much. The femme fatales people were nice, but they, um, they had guests like Vivica a Fox, which led mm-hmm. to them closing off the entire aisle way. Yeah. In the middle of the afternoon on a Saturday, like your highest traffic time. Mm-hmm. I know that Lloyd Kaufman was pissed. Yeah. Well, we had Danny DeVito next to us at the blood yeah. factory booth and the blood factory handed it like beautifully. They, they had the line down at the end and were kind of feeding people in. So it didn't shut down the aisle. Well, what I actually found out the next morning was I showed up early and I was talking to the guy from Femme Fatale's. And he said, like, we didn't have anything planned for her to come down. Like, someone just said, oh, Vivica A. Fox is coming. And we thought, okay, that'll be cool. We didn't know that she was going to come with three or four security guards surrounding her. (laughs) And that they were actually going to block off. They barricaded their own table. And they were having a signing at the time. And no one could even see who the signers were at Femme Fatale. Because Vivica A. Fox's bodyguards had blocked off their table so that no one could talk to Vivica A. Fox. I, I want to travel with a flock of bodyguards. I want to do that. Stay away from her at the grocery flock, store. Flock of body, bodyguards was my favorite 80s band. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, now, what exactly is your position in Fangoria, Fangoria magazine? Fangoria. <laughs> um, it's uh, Fangoria Entertainment, by the way. I, I go across all of the different mm -hmm. medias that we have. Um, magazine, website, the films, the convention circuits, all that grand stuff. Um, and my technical title is Executive Director of Marketing. Um, which is a lot of words. I usually just say I, I kind of am, I'm in charge of a lot of cool shit. Um, <laughs> it works. It works as well. Um, but essentially, my job it goes across a lot of things. Like I I do everything from like coordinate advertising that the company does to any time that we work with another company. Um, on any level I do it, anytime we do fan relations, if somebody's pissed off, I usually handle that as well. Um, at the same time, I do red carpets. I do a lot of interviews. So it's just kind of, um, I, I kind of just fill in wherever they need me is the best <laughs> way to describe it. You know, if they're like, take out the trash. Okay, fine. I'll do that too. Now, if your voice is familiar to somebody out there and you're going, I've heard that voice, that voice was talking to me about zombies one time. Yeah. Why might they recognize your voice? Um, well, I've been around on um, various interview circuits. I was on Sirius Radio XM a whole bunch talking about various horror stuff. But um, I've been on a couple of different TV shows. But most recently, I was on the History Channel. And uh, I was on a an special that they did called Zombies, a Living Legend, talking about zombies and kind of the cultural background of them and where they come from um, internationally as well. About two hours after my panel at Kamikaze, I think you guys had already left, I mm -hmm. think. Um, I wish you'd stuck around because Jonathan and I ended up getting pulled onto not one but two panels for the Zombie Research Society. Oh, that's awesome. And we probably could have pulled you on <laughs> as our historian. <laughs> But uh, I got to meet Matt from the the founder of Zombie Research Society. Very cool. That's an awesome group. He is a pretty cool dude. Um, and I felt like I was over talking too much, and I actually apologized to him. He's like, "No, do that more for the second panel," because I basically he <laughs> we had to laugh because early early on, Jonathan asked the question, "Well, Matt, uh, you know what defines a zombie? I mean, vampires are technically undead. Wouldn't they be zombies?" And he goes, "Jonathan, vampires aren't real." <laughs> and he was so serious that like John and I just from that point on were the complete devil's advocate. Let's not take it seriously at all. And we were aware that it would piss Matt off and he was actually very good humored about it and kind of enjoyed having a spar dialogue wise. He did uh, give me a lot of credit, though, because I kept talking about the importance of Return of the Living Dead completely in the history of zombie movies. Uh, I got into an argument with a Quizzo host one time because the question was, this movie featured zombies who screamed brains. And I wrote Return of the Living Dead down. He said it was Night of the Living Dead. No. And I was like, no, it's Return of the Living Dead. It's the only movie that they talk. Yeah, <laughs> in mean, Night of the Living Dead, they don't even specify that they're just seeking brains. <laughs> they just want flesh. Well, that was actually what was funny to me was that Matt had brought us up. I never realized, which is, Return of the Living Dead is actually the only movie where you see a zombie eating a brain. Mm -hmm. the, the, it's one of the first where they're kind of like, this is their specialty. I mean, even if you're looking at some of the Italian zombie films from the 70s, it's always a very broad, they want Flesh, body, body, not necessarily yeah. just brains. And that's what you're saying is he's like, it's really funny how most people in general don't know. Like, unless you're a horror movie buff, you don't really know Return of the Living Dead. 
But if you ask somebody, what do zombies eat and what do zombies say, they would say brains. Totally. It's literally the only film where they speak or actually are seen eating brains. Yeah. Times. And they scream, <laughs> I want your brain. It's, yeah. That's... And need more paramedics. Mm-hmm. Completely. <laughs> now, you said that you work with the film aspect mm-hmm. of Fangoria Magazine. Can we talk about Creature a little bit? We can totally talk about Creature. Um, so for those of you guys who don't know, Creature, um, was a film that came out uh, a couple of months back. Um, I guess in early September it did its theatrical release. I was going to say it was late August, early September. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was early September cause I had just kind of gotten back to LA when it did its big theatrical here. And, um, Creature was an independent project directed by Fred Andrews and, um, produced by Sid Sheinberg, executive produced by Sid Sheinberg and, um, it released, um, it, it kind of went down legendary as that it was released at, you know, thousands and thousands of theaters across the nation. Theaters, theaters that they did a release at, which is crazy for an indie project. Absolutely crazy. And then um, it also went down in history as being the lowest grossing film to open at that many theaters in history. So that's kind of the background of Creature. We did an article, we do an article on Geekscape where a guy basically runs down the box office numbers every week. And he tries to make it funny, and he compares it to different stuff and says, like, this is, you know, how much these movies made that are in the same kind of genre and blah, 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 blah. And with Creature, though, he actually was comparing Creature to Bucky Larson that also came out and did very poorly. And he goes, the problem is this. Creature's going to have the lower box office number. But, you know, it opened on this many screens, but nobody's heard of it. Not a bit. He goes, Bucky Larson opened on less screens, but there was advertising everywhere for it. So the question is really, who is the bigger failure in that case? The person who had nonstop advertising or the person who had no advertising? We look at the person, and, and I hate to say this, but Creature, that was their big downfall, is that they had no advertising. They had spent um, huge amounts of money to you know do this massive theatrical release and you know make it make it a big punch. But they had done um, advertising. They did. Um, we we gave them a lot through Fango. We talked about them at Comic Con. Um, put them on the cover. They'd done a couple of other horror conventions where they sponsored and had booths at it. But as for like you know playing trailers on television. Um, you know, ads on the subway systems and things like that. They definitely didn't do kind of the P&A postering, um, Princeton advertising postering that you would see with other major release movies. So Creature opens in theaters nationwide and nobody knows anything about it. And the problem wasn't that Creature was a horrible movie. It wasn't great. I'll be the first to line up and say it was not a great movie. But I have seen other horror movies open theatrically that are so much worse, make millions. And it's just because they had this massive paper campaign to, you know, saturate the world with the fact that they were open theatrically. If we weren't Comic-Con neighbors, I would have never known that the movie existed until it was the lowest box office movie. If they had not advertised with Fangoria specifically, I doubt I would have known too. (laughs) Um, I'm assuming, you know, we would have like made it to the screenings, but I would not have known it. As just a a normal (laughs) horror fan, it would not have reached me. Now, you actually did tell me something very interesting about the power of bad publicity, though, with with Yes. Creature, um, though the first weekend it did this horrible, horrible, like epic bad opening, um, it got all of this press from it. And, you know, the director started appearing all these places. A couple of the cast members started appearing all these places doing interviews about how epically bad their opening was. 
And that kind of boasted their numbers the next weekend. And they, they ended up doing really well the following weekends because they had gone down as this epically bad movie. I was going to say, I've, I've, I've said it before, and I think we actually said this at uh, Kamikaze, mm-hmm. but the worst thing you can do as a filmmaker is just be average and mediocre. Completely. Your <laughs> like, film will get buried. Your film will get completely buried. And it's so sad to say, but um, especially in this market where, you know, we've now seen this reshaping of filmmaking where, you know, anybody can make a movie at this point. Digital cameras are relatively cheap. You can edit on any computer. And it's not incredibly difficult to make a movie at this point it's incredibly difficult to make a good movie because the market has become so saturated with, you know, filmmakers who are making these things at home. And so, yeah, the mediocre, you're going to get buried. You need to be absolutely stellar. And, well, the thing with a bad movie is that don't go out and make a bad movie on purpose. Like, I know there's a lot of people who do go, like... We see so many. Like, let's let's just have fun and let's be goofy. But the reason, you know, we'll be the next Troll 2 or Birdemic... But the, the difference is, like, Troll 2 and Birdemic, there was some type of sincerity there. Mm-hmm. There was someone who really was trying to make a good movie. And it's it's fun to watch and just go, where did they go so wrong? And they went wrong from start to finish in Birdemic, having watched it twice now. There's not a single right decision that's made in that movie. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing. Because you're just watching, you're like... They didn't think like they didn't think about any of this. No, <laughs> like, no. And we <laughs> see so many filmmakers come at us from Fango like in the tradition of Grindhouse and therefore the boom mic isn't in every shot. Yeah. Or um we also hear it all the time, this person's gonna be the next Ed Wood. And I always remind filmmakers, you know, Ed Wood didn't start out to make bad movies. Ed Wood didn't want to be Ed Wood. Ed Wood wanted to be Orson Welles. And he was actually trying to create good movies. And the fact that they ended up bad was, you know, that's what makes them so charming in our eyes is that they do have this kind of innocence to them of he was legitimately trying to make good movies, but they just didn't turn out that way. So they come across as more sincere and legit. But he's just such an interesting person. Completely. Like, And it's one of those things where it's, you can't even just look at his bad sci-fi and horror like, I just watched his movie Jailbait, <laughs> and that movie is just like it's unbearable because it's him trying to do something dramatic, mm-hmm. and I can't do bad drama. <laughs> like I can do bad horror all day long. I, yep. I just watched The Janitor for the first time the other day, and like any other human being would have shut that movie off about twenty minutes in, but I was like, "This is a master." Oh yeah, you got to keep watching that <laughs> like, one. It's a given because the dialogue in Janitor. Janitor is one of the exceptions where they actually were definitely trying to make something shitty and it turned out all right. Mm -hmm. But it was because they had that sense of humor of just like, let's make it so obvious that it's funny. And I just love that in the first like five minutes of the movie, they establish that he kills one person by burning him alive. And they find the burn up body and they announce it to the office building. And then another woman at the same office building mentions that her husband was killed in a fire. And... (laughs) <laughs> they established that all these other employees have been killed at night by being burned alive. <laughs> they established that the janitor lives at the office building and he lives there because his house unexpectedly burned down. Hmm, and yet he's never a suspect in the film. <laughs> like, and it's even named after him too. <laughs> like, and it's just like that. And they show you him doing the death. So it's not even like there's like, a, oh, is he really? Like, no, it's it's him. You know, in about two minutes. The acting's so bad. Like, everything's bad about that movie, and that's why I love it. 
But they got Lloyd Kaufman. You put Lloyd Kaufman in your movie, you automatically get at least one star in my rating. Yeah, <laughs> Lloyd's going to stand up there and do his trauma thing. And yeah, I, I love Lloyd. I laughed because his scene as a homeless bum, he's sleeping outside of a dumpster that has a giant trauma sticker across it. That's the I'm one like, thing I've always noticed. Whenever Lloyd's in an indie movie, he always in some way is like has trauma blazoned across his <laughs> chest, which is awesome. He's like this this great shameless self-promoter, and there's a certain you know a respect that has to go for that, that he will always tell you what he's he doing. He is, without doubt, of all the past guests I've had, and I've had a lot of people that I love, easily one of the sweetest people that I've ever had on the show. Just Totally. I mean, throughout the entire interview, he would just keep going like, "Do you want? Sure, you don't want anything to drink." Like it was oh. like it was like ha- interviewing your grandmother. <laughs> you know, one of my books that I have out, um, I have a huge chapter on trauma and kind of the cult appeal of them. And yeah, when I did the interview with him at the office, it was just the most pleasant time I've had. Him and Herschel Gordon Lewis were just like the two sweetest people I've ever met. Because they they were trailblazers, but like they they were also kind of hippies. I think is a big aspect of it mm-hmm. is that they still have that like, you know, everybody should be treated equally. Everybody's cool atmosphere. What is uh on the horizon for Fangoria Entertainment? Well, at this point, we've got so much going on. I can barely keep up. Um, the magazine we've been completely reshaping. Um, Chris Alexander, our editor in chief, came in. A little over a year ago, and Chris set out to kind of completely reshape the magazine and preserve what made it great back in the 80s, but at the same time kind of bring out Mm -hmm. um, a lot of new elements to it and make it fun and make it retro, but make it new at the same time. And so we've done a huge focus on that. Um, At the same time, we have a whole bunch of films in the work, which are currently in pre-production, most of which I can't mention yet, but I can drop the phrase, um, children shouldn't play with dead things. Um, I can't give too many details on it, but I'll, I'll drop the phrase. We'll have a conversation after the Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we've got a lot of films in the work. Um, we've also, gosh, there's so many things I can't talk about right now because I signed clauses. Um, <laughs> so I'll just say we um, have many, many things coming up that are awesome. And uh, Fango is entering into a lot of um, different medias that we haven't done before. We're currently in the process of also kind of reshaping the website um to something that's a little bit more um conducive to modern day audiences and kind of has a more social networking aspect to it all right well thank you for coming by oh well thank you so much for having me all right uh we'll be back after this brief commercial break are you struggling with debt can't make ends meet do you have a structured annuity or payment that's owed to you by the government, big business, or local library? Do you have a communicable disease that makes it hard to date other people? Have you been or are you now a member of the Communist Party, having trouble sleeping at night, tossing and turning? Do you struggle with your sexual performance in the bedroom, feeling groggy even in the middle of the day, depressed, not enjoying the things you used to do, hate keeping track of when to take your medications, can't find duct tape when you need it, are you losing your hair, teeth, or mind, can't wait to refinance your home, second mortgage weighing you down, is your child unpopular at school, does your wife notice something different about you? The law firm of Roybles and Grouch can help. We know how money works. Call the debt experts at 800-555-6969. Don't wait to start your life again. That's 800-555-6968. We know it's hard since the galactic overlords enslaved the populace. Don't let your body be harvested. Call us. 800-555-6869. And we're back with Sam Weller. Uh, Some of you might recognize his voice. Go ahead and speak there, Sam. Hey, this is Sam Weller. Happy to be on here, St. Mort. Uh, You might know him because he does the commercials for the St. Mort show. And uh, sometimes sneaks in plugs for his podcast, Hysterectomy. Yeah, Hysterectomy from Crave Online. Um, 
we're entering our 10th episode and we're Woo! yeah i know it's it's going it's been going really really well i uh, can find her on crave online h-i-s-t-o-r-e-c-t-o-m-y every week you should just have aretha franklin write a song spelling out the uh, name of the podcast that's gonna be the new promo i think i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna just have a sick beat and then that'll get it stuck in people's heads i have a knack for writing you know tunes that that burrow into your skull and don't leave you have a knack for doing things that are slightly racist too so aretha franklin you know you could probably create that sound you know i know her pr gal we can, <laughs> we can hook things up <laughs> She's looking to get out to the reach out to the indie kid audience, you know. <laughs> Sam sent me uh you know, he sends me the commercials each week or so and the one email just said, If this is too racist, you don't have to play it. And it's without a doubt my favorite commercial that he's ever sent me. <laughs> the way it started was I wanted to do sort of a salt of the earth character that yeah. like owned an auto shop next to the Waffle House and just like generally like a pretty affable guy. So I gave him like just little ticks. I was just like, Hello some this here's Cluck to Bussy, and I own an auto shop. You know, if you're looking for my crawl, and like, and then what I did was, wouldn't it be fun to play with the pitch? And then the moment I dropped the pitch, I realized, <laughs> oh my God, it's a black gentleman, <laughs> an African American gentleman. So I was like, this feels weird. So at the very end of it, I put this uh, announcer being like, this racist ad brought to you by Gringos. Gringos were Mexicans by jeans. I don't know. <laughs> even when it was slow, the like it just got worse slowed down because there's even that point where he's like, "You need to know how to find my crawl." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking for my crawl, <laughs> I just I just thought it'd be funny to have a guy's speech, a speech impediment where he just stalls out. Oh, so he's like, funny "Hey, to make fun of people with a speech impediment." Oh man. <laughs> No this. matter what I do, I'm going to make you sound like a horrible human being. Because if you know me in person, I'm, I'm pretty harmless. Let's talk about how we met. Yeah. <laughs> we actually met uh, a little, like a year and a half ago at uh, this little this little get-together that, yeah, you probably haven't heard of, but it's called San Diego Comic-Con. And uh, you were there to promote your web show that you co-wrote and starred in. Well, one of co-starred and co-wrote in. Right. Uh, first edition. Yep. And we had no clue who you were. Uh I don't even think Geekscape set it up. I think Comics on Comics actually lined up. They did. They lined they, us up, and we, I don't, I forget the timeline, but I don't think we actually did an appearance on the Geekscape show proper until after Comic-Con. Yeah, you guys just kind of came by the table the first day of Comic-Con, and we're like, hey, uh, we're supposed to be signing here next week, or uh, in this two days, Saturday. like this Saturday, and we're like, oh, great. <laughs> And, and, I, and already I was like, I feel the barbs coming, you know? <laughs> and like, uh, and we were like, okay, I don't know who these people are, but you definitely weren't the least famous people that were signing at our booth that year, because we had a lot of random-ass people. Yeah, um, but you, but that's what uh, you guys do really well, is you support a lot of, uh, you know, smaller independent guys, as well as people all the way up to, like, Simon Pegg level. Well, and you guys actually, I will say this, though, with the exception of when we had uh, Tommy Wiseau at our table that year, you guys probably had the second or third biggest crowd of people come by the table. That first Comic-Con was such a rush because we released the first episode that Wednesday and we were so worried, like, is anybody going to come? And it's like, just treat it like a promotional thing. Yeah. And the advantage was that the entire uh, team showed up. So yeah. we were all there in our shirts. We had the thing happening. So people are like, who are all these people in red shirts? And... 
It was good. I think we we handed out a bunch of stuff. We got the awareness out there. But we basically, you know, I mean, like there was a lot of people that signed at that booth that year. But I think you guys were the only ones that really actually became part of like the Geekscape community. Like you're the you're the people that that are recognized by regular Geekscapists. Is like, oh, it's Sam Weller. Oh, it's Canyon Prince. And that's really cool. Like Jonathan is occasionally you know name drop first edition and my name when he's doing a proper show and i i just think that's cool and 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 everybody there on the team uh brian walton rest in peace um (laughs) you know they've really welcomed us in gilmore london all those guys well and what i was gonna say is that yourself yeah you and i became pretty decent friends just on the internet yeah and I, and i moved back to pa or I didn't move. I flew back to PA. I was just visiting that particular week. But I mean, you and I pretty much talked for about a year straight online, just whenever either one of us just was Facebook on. chatting and yeah. keeping in touch. Because the moment I met you, I was like, I like this guy already. I just oh, knew from you. the yeah, I did because you have a very genuine energy. Uh, for more uh, wanking of Matt Kelly, <laughs> listen to hysterectomy. I'll just dedicate about fifteen minutes. Like Matt Kelly. <laughs> that 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 other fake commercial that I did with the, the uh, easy reader, hilarious. you like that one? Yeah. I was so because I, I felt so bad that I missed your birthday okay. to like give you the well wishes, and I I was in on the uh, <laughs> here's some inside baseball. Did I did did they tell you that like I almost started a flame war with with Gilmore? No. Um, <laughs> there was this bit where Jonathan was setting up that surprise that he did. Yeah, my parent. Uh, for those who don't know, my parents came and surprised me for my birthday. Which is why the uh, last St. Mort show episode was like two weeks behind schedule. Because <laughs> the day that I was planning to edit it was the day that I found out that my parents were in California. <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah. No, that was amazing. So what happened was London sends the first email out to like eight of us, right? Mm-hmm. And it's everybody in the kind of Geekscape fold that know you mm-hmm. fairly well. And it was cool because he was setting up, oh, I'm going to surprise him and all this stuff. And I was like, cool, awesome. But everybody kept reply alling. So like eight, nine messages start piling up. In the oh, it same happens all the time. I hate it. I hate it. Well, I mentioned this, but I was making some type of joke and I'm going to misquote or something. But I said something akin to like, hey, whatever you guys come up with is cool with me. I just will, you know, avoid adding to the spam. Smiley face, you know, uh, hopefully I can be there or something. Right. Yeah. Gilmore responds with this comment essentially saying like, because somebody, somebody's like, wow, gee, Sam, bit of a prima donna much. And I, th- I don't know if it was Walton or whatever. And then Gilmore chimes in. He's like, hey, let's give him some more credit than that, okay? What he's really saying is he's too busy being above all of us and clubbing baby <laughs> seals to, like, participate fully. And so I saw this and I – and it's like 10 a.m., right? Like yeah. pretty early in the morning I just woke up or something. And I'm looking at this going <sighs> – Motherfucker. Like, why are they you're supposed to be friends? It's like, Gilmore, son of a bitch. Like, I'm just kind of pacing, like, getting really irrationally angry because I know all these people. Like, and I know that he's trolling me. But and I was, you know that that's the sense of humor of everybody that works for Geekscape in any but, capacity. But, but you were, like I said, you and me being friends online, yeah. it, that's not a rare thing for me, but I don't usually do interaction online. So the typical things that people are used to, like, oh, somebody, like, it's starting to flame me in a thread or something. Like, I don't, I have a hard time dealing with those things. So it took me a minute to, like, cool down, like, and then finally, like, I, I, because he said something at the end where it's like, obviously Sam doesn't like throwing secret parties for people and da-da-da. And I took a minute and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. 
I, I messaged back, reply all. Uh, no, Gilmore. And I said, I like to flambe my seal skin before I eat it. You know, I like it crunch, crunchy and crispy. And then I said, and I love making secret parties with people that nobody knows about. That's why your mother and I are careful not to meet in public. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, I love you all. And I will see you hopefully if I am not at work. Gilmore responds like, and Sam's entry into the well-trodden area of your mama jokes ended with resounding applause. <laughs> And that's when I realized, like, it was never serious to begin with, and I kind of felt a little embarrassed um, about it. But it was funny. It was a funny 15 minutes in internet time. The most recent of the Flame Wars, Geekscape humor, or what have you, has been talking about having a writer's meeting that somehow turned into, we're having a writer's meeting inside of one of the writer's vaginas. And then a series of pictures of what the inside of the vagina looks like including a picture of Gollum inside of his cave from Lord of the Rings and a picture of Aladdin dangling from a cliff before he's saved by the magic carpet. (laughs) We're pretty assholeish people in that site. Oh, right. Oh, are we rolling? No, we're good. Okay. Now I got to edit this. (laughs) Oh, God, one cut. You know, on hysterectomy, uh, we spare no expense. Makes Julian fries. <laughs> That's a good Aladdin joke. I don't, I don't live in a world of convenience and free time. L- unlike me or something? Yeah, that like, I got some shit I gotta watch. Yeah, you, look, I've I got, got Miss Doubtfire to I watch. I got a huge Netflix queue that I gotta work my way through. Soon as you leave, I'm watching Fire and Ice. <laughs> and then also, Ice Castles. I've also been watching a lot of Rocky and Bullwinkle on an instant watch lately. Nice. Very underrated show. Man. Oh, no, I, I, I disagree. I, I, I completely think I, I, what I'm saying is I enjoy it, too. I, but I think Some pe- of the most jokes... of the people from our generation, they're just like, oh, that. Right. But that show is just as funny now as it was in the 60s. The only reason why I watched it was I was watching Nickelodeon all the way up to like the end of it. Like end of the per- end of the broadcast day around 4 to 5 o'clock, 5 into 6 before Nick at night. Yeah. It'd be like all the primo stuff. It'd be Rugrats, Marco- Rocco's Modern Life. Ren and Stimpy. Ren and dog. Stimpy. Yeah, it would be Ren and Stimpy and then Rocky and Bullwinkle. And then it would go into Nick at night. Like Rocky and Bullwinkle for some reason. Are you talking reason. about Snick? Or Nick no, I'm talking about Nickelodeon and the Nick at Night. Okay. Do you remember that period? Of time? I remember. I remember when like Nick at Night was something other than what it is now, where Nick at Night is like Fresh Prince of Bel Air and Home Improvement. When yeah, it was but like, that's because I we've love lived. Lucy and but stuff. that's because we've lived too long, Matt Kelly. No, and we but know, the thing is, we know what it used no, to be, which was like the Andy look, Griffith show. Look, I understand. <laughs> like, I understand that concept. I understand that. Like, yes, twenty years have passed, and now Nirvana is technically classic rock. What I'm saying, yeah, I know, let that sink I mean, again, I was only six or seven when that, so that wasn't even my generation. But but what I'm talking about is that we had Lucy and Andy Griffin from, like, what, the the 40s and 50s, and then it just skipped, like, seven decades, like, it skipped, like, four decades and just was like, the 90s are now Nick at Night. And that's where my issue is. There was no 80s reruns, there was no 70s, there was no 60s, they just kind of jumped over all these shows that I would like to watch on Nick at Night. Yeah. I've well, seen all the reruns. Gonna, when, are we, when are we gonna get Perfect Strangers back? Exactly. I get... want some Perfect Strangers. Uh, no, it just, Nick at Night should just be what I grew up on <laughs> for my uh, TGIF. It should just be Boy Meets World, Family Matters, Full House, Perfect Strangers. I would actually, I would rewatch some Boy Meets World. I have every season on DVD. Uh, I wouldn't watch it that hard. Oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> College years? 
I remember growing up thinking the college to- years were stupid. College years are the best years in that entire show. <laughs> when they're fi- when he and Topanga are finally heavy petting. Yes, they're heavy petting. They're engaged, but still not having sex. She's she has AIDS for some reason, <laughs> even though she's been chased like the entire show. Weird uh, twist in that show. Definitely. You know, I want I want a you know secret world of Alex Mack. I need that on a marathon. Quality show. Well, you know what they released on. I DVD? had my first. Here's a here's a. I'll, I'll share this. You had your first wet dream with Alex Mack. She could turn into water. Let's just say it involved a mashup of a Capri Sun commercial and my pants being off. <laughs> Sexy. Uh, Sam, we got to go. Uh, I will have you back probably next episode to talk about your musical comedy. Yeah, that'd be great. That's pertinent to your interest. But uh, while we're talking about you as an actor, is there anything that you would like to promote? Uh, yeah, besides Hysterectomy, uh, the, uh, the podcast that I run, Crave Online, H-I-S-T-O-R-E-C-T-O-M-Y every week uh, with Christian Crosby. Um, uh, I'm working, man, I don't know how much I can say because okay. there's a a certain project that I'm working on that I think. Is this if, the one in San Francisco? No, that's a, I, I got, I'm going to go and do a children's touring gig. I'm <laughs> going to be doing children's theater and I'll be playing Alexander from Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. And I'll be playing that character, but in Alexander, who's not, 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 not going to move. <laughs> so I'll be singing and dancing. That was my background. Um, but yeah, I would love to come back on and, and talk a little bit more. I, I don't have anything really to promote at the moment besides the podcast. Go to Crave Online's comedy section. Click on my comedy articles. I'm a writer over there. So share that around. Sounds like a plan. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Matt, for letting me uh, contribute to your show, man. No problem. Always. This is Cluck the Bussy saying Cup the Pussy. Cup the Pussy. Hello, sir. I'm Cluck the Bussy. If the new hankering for real crawl, the lot might auto part. Look no further, pilgrim. Cluck the Bussy, auto shop fixing to earn your business. I can't deal with plastic scrap, so cash only. Be located at Fifth Coffin Street. Adjacent to the Waffle House on Twenty. Thank you. This racist dad brought to you by Gringos. Gringos were Mexicans by their jeans. So I have to apologize uh, before I introduce this performer. Uh, Justin Finch Fletchley came in a long time ago to do this interview, and uh, it got pushed back. Almost a month, uh, so a lot of the plugs that he has have already passed. But uh, be sure to check out his Twitter and his Facebook and all the other things that he plugs, because he is a really great musician. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, Justin Finch Fletchley. Oh, I'm very afraid of the basilisk. Man, if that snake actually killed me, I'd have been pretty pissed. But I was stuck in the hospital for most of my second year. Voice 
eyes closed tight, don't take the risk. Everyone fear the basilisk. Keep your eyes shut tight, don't peek out your lids. Everyone fear the basilisk. Keep your eyes closed tight, don't take the risk. Everyone fear the basilisk. Keep your eyes shut tight, don't peek out your lids. Everyone fear the Thank you so much, Justin. That was incredible. Oh, thanks. Uh, now that is a new song, correct? Yes, it is. That was uh, I was petrified. It's going to be off my brand new album, Justin Finch Fletchley and the Deathly Pizza. Now, pizza is a uh, ongoing topic in your music. I've noticed. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Half Blood Pizza album personally. Uh, what what is the obsession with pizza? Well, I I love pizza, and I was muggle-born. My character, Justin Finch-Fletchley, is muggle-born. And so I play off the, the um, kind of atmosphere of when I got to the school, they were just feeding me um, steak and kidney pie or rust potatoes. Uh, um, if I could have a decaying fish or something if I went to a nearly headless Nick's death day party. But I just could never find pizza anywhere. So I decided that I would start writing songs about it and uh, try to convince um, other people at the school to help me uh, get my favorite muggle food of all time, pizza. It's kind of like how I'm always thinking about Wawa now that I live out here in California. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't get that there. Now you are uh, from Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, Harry, Harry and the Potters is the original Wizard Rock band, but I think in a lot of ways Rhode Island's the home of Wizard Rock, where it really started. Because you guys kind of, with, with Draco and the Malfoys and you and Whomping Willows, made it more than just one group doing this. Um, what, is it, what is the uh, Wizard Rock atmosphere like in Rhode Island? It is um, it is off the hook. I mean, we we can't go anywhere without um, being uh, having spells cast at us, having uh, um, fans uh, approaching us for autographs. I mean, we we pretty much have to just stay indoors and hide the whole time. Um, but uh, that's actually not how it is at all. There is <laughs> you're like Kurt Cobain <laughs> in 1992 out there. <laughs> yeah, we we hate it. Um, there, <laughs> Wizard Ankh has paid off well. Please with don't, board and old. Listen, don't um, go into that greenhouse. I'm begging you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It'll, um, it'll get there's, better, um, I promise. <laughs> there, there is no scene in Rhode Island, for for, uh, for lack of a better term. No scene whatsoever, um, which is probably why we have to tour so often to play shows. Um, <laughs> it's an, and it, and it is, it's kind of baffling. We often talk about it. Um, 
like maybe we should try to get something going in Rhode Island, but then we just kind of never do. And and with with all of us here, and with the Potters for that matter, being so close. And then we also have other bands too that are with us, like uh, Lauren Fairweather and and from the Moaning Myrtles, and um, Russ from the Creepy Crisis is right around the corner, and we've got Danny up in um, in the Boston area from um, Hogwarts of History and so I mean we definitely have an, an enough bands here to do a festival and have a, a million uh, local New England wizards attend but we just um, are either too lazy or we just don't have a scene yeah. I'm not sure or it's probably both inst- <laughs> instead you travel all the way to Tennessee every year yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a shame because I feel like you know Especially in the last couple of years of living in PA, while Wizard Rock was going on, if it was up in Rhode, if it was up in Rhode Island or New England, I'd probably be a lot more likely to go to to Rockstock. Yeah, but I mean, that's I mean, I guess it works out because Tennessee is pretty much as central as you can get, mm-hmm. except for being maybe a little bit more north. But I mean, I, I guess it is a good middle point for for the entire country, but. Yeah, I'd like to. I, I think it's cool. I mean, you guys do come to Philly a lot for the, um, I uh, the Yule Ball. Yeah, I played last uh, last December. I, I played out there with uh, Harry and Potter's. Now you actually wrote what I think is one of the more popular Wizard Rock songs. Definitely one of the more infamous ones, which is Dumbledore is Gay. Um, oh yes. What 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 inspired? How quickly after the announcement? Uh, did you write that one instantly and and that's not a that's not a fabrication that is i i don't what dumbledore's gay oh my let me write about it um and um just as the lyrics go that i i just didn't want anyone um to turn against it for that reason and it's like well it doesn't really matter okay he's gay that's great Uh, the last book is already out and he's still the greatest wizard that there was he he did some amazing stuff and it has nothing to do with his um sexual orientation which uh, i think is actually a story that i've heard frequently with other musicians is that the the songs that that kind of grab audiences the most tend to be the ones that were written very spur of the moment um one of the earlier episodes i had tom smith on the show who wrote a song called a boy and his frog about a Jim Henson's death from the perspective of Kermit the Frog. And uh, when I interviewed oh, him, wow. he wrote it the day that Jim Henson died and performed it that night. And it's like, it, you know, it's that spark of inspiration. It's that moment when, you know, you, you hear something and you go, oh, I need to talk about this now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of awesome that you were, you know, there, there's thousands and thousands of Wizard Rock groups out there. So for you to be the one that really... No, this no. It it was announced today. Guess what? There's a song about it already. Is pretty awesome. Yeah, it, it just it, it just flowed out. Um, there there are um, some of my most favorite songs, and possibly even some of my most popular songs, depending on who you're asking, um, have been written that quickly. Um, and but Dumbledore's Gay is probably the fastest one. Um, it just guitar in hand, go, and that was it. Two minutes later, I was like, wow. I, I just wrote a song, and I'll put it up on MySpace, remember that. Uh, and uh, next thing I knew, people liked it, and it, I actually uh, 
I got to the very first rock stock in uh, the, the news came out in October 2007. That song was written, and then the very first rock stock was here, and and I got there and. I had my set list ready. I actually wrote it on a um, pizza box that uh, Paul and Brian and I had, had le- and Brad and I had those leftovers. Um, so we hurried up and ate the pizza. I wrote my set list on the box on the ride to Rockstock and then set it up on the stage and I was ready to go. And then um, the promoters of the event um, approached me before my set and demanded that I play Dumbledore's Gay because that wasn't even in the set list. The song was so new that I wasn't confident in being able to perform it live or anything. Um, and that was how fresh it was. So it ended up becoming the very first song to ever be played at a rock stock event. That's pretty awesome. And it, not only is that awesome, it's also awesome that you, you know, being a character who loves pizza, has your set list on a pizza box. <laughs> um, <laughs> have you played uh, any shows with non-Wizard Rock artists before? And how, if so, how's the crowd react to it versus a Wizard Rock crowd? Um, have uh, Let me ask you what you mean um <laughs> have i played not as a wizard rock artist uh, have, or have, have i you played a wizard rock set at a non-wizard rock setting? at a non-wizard show um i don't know i'm not sure it's i don't think i have the uh i've played in i've played to non-wizard crowds but i don't believe ever really with a like been the only wizard band on a on a sh- on a card um, I know we. Um, I know one time I played up at EMU, and um, with Tonks and the Oars and the Whomping Willows, and the, um, the crowd was just there for the because they're attendees of the school. They weren't there because it was a Wizard Rock event, uh, so the auditorium was full, and it was time to play. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to open up with Honey Dukes tonight just so I can get everyone's attention, and. Um, I think there so there there may have been other times too. That one's that one's the one that sticks out the most though. I, I always just find that kind of an interesting thing because it 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 you are doing a very niche style of music, but at the same time it's like it's is it really niche if it's based on one of the best selling book series of all time and one of the high and the highest grossing film of the year? Like, like people know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, there's not a lot of people who are just like, I'm not familiar with this Harry Potter thing. What is it exactly? <laughs> but you, uh, what what I like about the Wizard Rock genre in general is each artist has their own um, different style. It, it's a genre that is without. It's a genre without genres, if that makes any sense. Because it's yeah, it's a, I understand. Yeah, it's about <laughs> lyrical content more than. The, the type of music you play so you know you have something like you know Harry and the Potters which is a very indie rock sound and then you've got Whomping Willows which has got a lot of Weezer influence and then with you I actually hear a lot of Violent Femme influence and I think it's kind of cool that you can go to a Wizard Rock show and see a rapper and and kind of a Femi thing and then a you know just an acoustic duo and, and all those things kind of brought together at at once, I think that's what makes it such an appealing genre. Um, what what was the biggest draw in for you? What drew me yeah. in? Um, I it was a crowd. I, I played a with my with my which I now refer to as my Muggle band, but at at the time it was my band, um, my only band, um, uh, and uh, we 
we played a show in in Rhode Island at one of our clubs that we had played at often, AS220, and Harry and the Potters were booked to play that show as well. And so my band and I did our set, and um, we thought we brought the house down, and you know we had we had a great time, and we did what we always did, and that's just go up onto that stage and nail it, and then. Um, and Paul and Joe are in there and we get off the stage and then they started setting up their, their equipment and I'm like, all right, I'm going to check out this, uh, this Harry Potter band. And all of a sudden, um, the place just became flooded with uh, not, um, not bar hounds or, or um, college kids, but it just became flooded with, with other people wearing um, shirts and ties and uh, pleated skirts and, and wands and and uh, a whole new um, audience just came in, and instead of being more focused on just uh, smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol, they were focused on having fun and having fun with each other. And I just sat back in amazement and watched the the uh, Wizard Rock Pioneers um, and their audience. And then uh, my band was um, members of my band are Brian Ross and Bradley Mellenbacher from Draco and the Malfoys as well and um so um we all kind of just split up and they did their draco thing and then shortly afterwards like i showed up as jff and it, it was just it just blew me away and that's what drew me in well and that's that's what's kind of cool about the shows is that there's such a variety to it you can go to a packed house or you can go to an apartment with five or six just diehard fans which is the way i first saw you guys was in an apartment in delaware uh, it was mm-hmm. you and Matt, and you guys did something that I've never seen anyone do before, and I wish that I had a uh, comedy guitar playing buddy that I could do, where you guys just perform your set together, switching back and forth every two songs. And I just thought that was a, I thought that was so awesome, but it also expressed so much about the unity of of the the bands and the lack of ego amongst the bands. Uh, yeah, um, that, <laughs> that's a real exciting part, is the, the lack of ego. Um, <laughs> uh, Matt and I had been touring um, for a, a while. I, th- I want to guess that that show was probably in the fall of 2009. That sounds about but I'm not right. Positive. That sounds about right. I think it was right when I was like, I think I'm going to move to California in a year or two. <laughs> It was definitely the first and only time that um, I've been able to play in Delaware. I've played in every state except for Alaska and Hawaii. And um, Delaware at that time was one that hadn't been checked off the list yet. And the um, Matt and I, though, had uh, one of our first tours together. We had established a thing called a rotation-style set where we would do what you saw, and that was perform a couple of songs <laughs> Um, together a couple of my songs and then a couple of his songs and and, uh, we'd rotate back and forth and so we we had brought that back for that night um, because of the type of the audience that it was it was just such an intimate situation so we wanted to just all sit together in the living room and just perform and and it it brought me back to you know growing up in Philly in the uh, you know late 90s early 2000s just house shows and, and, you know, church basement concerts and stuff like that. And it was like, this is awesome. Like, this is what music used to be about <laughs> before it was, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, I can't play unless you bring at least 100 kids to the show type attitude. And that's when I just, re- I mean, I went from already kind of digging the music to, like, 
not just digging the music, but respecting you guys as people. Because you, you were about your fans more than anything else. And uh, that's if I could send any message to other people about why they should give Wizard Rock a chance, it's, you know, the all-time low doesn't care about you that much. They, they, you know, they like that you're buying the money and they like that you're singing, you know, you're spending the money and singing along with the songs, but, mm-hmm. you know, a Wizard Rock group actually cares how you're doing. They want to know what you're up to. They'll, they, you know, you guys, if you guys didn't have to go to a show in Jersey that night, there isn't a doubt in my mind that if people said, hey, there's this diner down the street, you guys want to go grab a bite, that you wouldn't go get food with your fans. Um, yeah, we, we've done that <laughs> plenty of times. <laughs> Which is a shame, because there was definitely a diner I was willing to take you guys to. Uh, and I'm going to do a little plug for it. Back in my hometown, there's a little place called Tom Jones. If you ever find yourself in Delaware or Philly area, check it out. They have a meal there. Um, they have a meal there called the Blue Ribbon Special. You get two eggs, two pancakes, two sausage, two slices of bacon, toast, a bottomless cup of coffee, and a juice for three dollars and seventy-five cents. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that that is road yeah. food right there. Yeah, wow! So all all oh. touring musicians that listen to the St. Moritz show, keep that in mind when you're in Philadelphia. It's like 20 minutes outside yeah. of the city, and it's worth the drive. <laughs> that, that's one of the most exciting things about touring, too, is, is we don't just stop at the f- closest McDonald's or Wendy's or something that we can find. It's, we, we actively seek out places like Tom Jones. Um, <laughs> well, well, when you play like smaller, when you're playing like not Philadelphia, but like the outskirts of Philly and those small towns, you find those locals who are like, "Oh, I'll show you a little place that that you're not gonna find in like a uh, in a tour in a road trip book." Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, with the ending of the movie series and now the book series is done, I'm sure you've gotten this question a few times. But what does that mean for Wizard Rock? Uh, I'm sh- I know that when the books were were coming to a conclusion, everyone wanted to know. So is this the end of Wizard Rock? And you guys powered through for another four years, but you know now the movies are done too. It seems like that well of um, inspiration is starting to to dry up a little bit, as far as just looking to the book and saying, okay, well, what new creatures and creations are there for us to sing about? What do you think is going to happen with Wizard Rock in the next couple of years? I I think it's probably going to power through. Um, maybe hopefully another four more years hopefully another four more after that um i think that um there still are new bands that are arriving emerging onto the scene um there i've just actually just recently heard from a um mc fat fryer um phat fryer and um he's he's just starting to write songs and it's 2011 so um i think that there's a lot of other people around there that around the world rather that are that are just going to start doing it, and I think it's going to keep itself alive that way. Whether uh, whether um, bands like mine or, or other bands like mine are going to maybe stray a little bit and move into other genres, um, write about other book series like Hunger Games or or even TV shows like Doctor Who. Um, I th- there's definitely going to be um, that emerging crop of um, new wizard rock musicians that are just going to keep coming through and um, writing about it. Well, and I also kind of. I really like what 
what Whomping Willows did with their last album, where the album's not really about Harry Potter. It's about the community that, that Wizard Rocks developed. And I think that says a lot about what this community is and says a lot about where you guys can go in the future. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, him and him and Lauren have uh, Armored Bear now, and, and I see a lot of these... I, I see that being something that might happen, where these Wizard Rock artists do kind of expand the horizons of, well, what is Wizard Rock? You know, is it really confined to just Harry Potter? Like you said, going into stuff like Hunger Games, or going into more sci-fi fantasy-influenced novelizations. Um, if you could start singing about any fantasy or sci-fi element outside of Harry Potter, uh, what would what would be your TV show, movie, book of choice? Oh, that's a great question. Um, right now, I'm, I'm working on a long overdue album that I've started years ago, and it's um, it's a pirate-themed album. <laughs> and that's that's titled um, Justin Finch Fletchley and the Pirates of the Golden Age. And it's, it's not so much um, fiction, um, but I, I, then again, I guess it is fiction. But uh, <laughs> um, but other um, other sci-fi things that I want to tap into are um, Firefly and and Doctor Who. Um, let's see uh, what else we got out there. I don't really want to do Star Wars or Star Trek. Um, well, there's so much. I mean, there's so much filk stuff that's already taken care of. The Star Trek aspect of singing. <laughs> that it's like, yeah. that, that's that's a dry well right there. <laughs> um, Star Wars, Star Wars. I feel like there was never a Star Wars based group as much as just a lot of internet video songs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, let's see what else we got out there. Um, I'm drawing a blank at the moment, but because my main non wizard thing that I've been working on has been um, the pirate okay. album. Any, what, like, is it based off of, I mean, I know you said it's based off of a little bit of more non-fiction pirate stuff, but, I mean, did you grow up playing Monkey Island and, you know, getting always kind of into the, the pirate aspect of, of a childhood? Um, it was always fascinating, um, and then also as um, aspiring to be a rock star too as a child. Um, that that was probably the closest thing I could find to being a pirate. Um, you know, you travel from port to port, and um, you take all the money and you um, take all the women and move on to the next one. And that was kind of my goal when I was a little kid that I wanted to be a modern day pirate. And the best thing was, the best way to do that was to be a rock star. Um, <laughs> but instead. Um, it's turned into what this is. Are you to um, promote that album? Are you going to uh, dress like a pirate on stage? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I want to go that far. Um, although, when uh, there have been times when I've played the album or played songs from that album, and I've worn just a uh, a t shirt with a skull and crossbones on it. Um, <laughs> oh no, man! I'm seeing. I'm um, thinking you with a puffy shirt, a fake parrot, <laughs> big hat, and an eye patch. I'd pay to watch that. <laughs> 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 yeah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> but um, a lot of the album um, initially starts off because um, I'm, I'm not actually writing about um, non-fictional pirates. Um, you know, I'm not taking like 
um, Blackbeard or, or somebody like that and writing, writing about them. Um, the, the album kind of starts out from the um, point of view of the Dread Pirate Roberts um, from the Princess Bride nice. film or, or Princess Bride book for that matter. And um, and then then I kind of created my own story from there as because uh, the story with the Dread Pirate Roberts is that um, the Dread Pirate Roberts was a masked pirate who um, lived forever basically um, because whenever he retired the a new person would take over the role so in, in the Princess Bride story we find out who took over that role and and then he ended up passing it on to uh, Inigo Montoya but in the pirate album that I have going the person that took over that role is somebody that I've created um, and so then the uh, the whole entire album is about that person's uh, journey um, in, as the Dread Pirate Roberts in your version of the Dread Pirate, Pirate Roberts mythos um, are you know we'll say that you are in fact the new Dread Pirate Roberts. Are you writing it from the perspective of you are pre-Wesley or post Inigo Montoya? Um, I, I never really set a time frame for that. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta think about that one now, don't I? Um, <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna get that question. I'm, I'm, I'm setting you yeah. up now. <laughs> I'd say it's, pro- it's probably definitely pre-Wesley. Um. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Justin. Um, if people are interested sure. in a new album or just more information on you, where, where is the best source for them to go find that? They can head to my website. Um, it's jffismybff.com. And um, the other way, too, is to follow me on Twitter. It's uh, at jfftsq. And... Um, Twitter is uh, the one where I talk about myself and make my jokes and promote my product and everything like that. And, um, and then my website is just where you can go to buy it. This, this week was certainly the, the episode of St. Moore Show with some of the most interesting website names uh, between JFF <laughs> is BFF and Barbara Gray's comedy website, My Jokes Are Up Here. Uh, thank you so much <laughs> for coming by. Chico's Vibe, please play us out.